0: Welcome to AU City, the podcast where stories diverge. I'm your co-host, V Park, pronouns she they, author, former literary agent, producer, and full-time cat wrangler, who's currently working on about 10 different creative projects. Uh, I'm multimodal and kinesthetic, so this approach works for me 80% of the time, every time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I'm your other co-host and chaotic neutral author, Ray Noble. My pronouns are he, they. I also have magical cat attraction powers. Uh, and yeah, thank you guys for joining us today. We are going to be doing a telly aka find out episode. Uh, today's format is basically where we discuss what we've learned at, or what we hope to learn in the future from all of our fuck around times. And today is going to be a lot of fucking around. I
0: think. <laughs> it's more like the the fucking around approach to finding out where we talk right. about what we learned but not really in like a very ordered manner um so yeah. today for today's show I mean tell uh, mm-hmm. we're gonna take a step back and we're gonna look at our seasonal collaborative storytelling project which in this case is our AU Nancy Drew season four in case you haven't been following the road so far we're doing this from a raven's eye view mm-hmm. so in other words like We're breaking story, as they say. Uh, Well, you know, while we're already mid story, (laughs) if you're thinking like, wow, that's pretty chaotic of you guys. Well, you are not wrong.
1: Yeah, that's just what we do here. We literally put it in the introduction at this point. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but for anybody unfamiliar with the term breaking story, it's used in a lot of ways when we're talking about all different types of narratives. So uh, for one example, in the news, you'll see an alert like breaking and then you'll get like a quick snippet of information. The breaking is meant to tell you that the story is still developing and we may or may not have all the details yet. So you stay tuned for updates, but this is generally what you need to know. That kind of Exactly. Thing. Yes.
0: So whereas in writing for TV in a writer's room, which you'll notice that I reference really often on this podcast, since it's a pretty established model of collaborative storytelling that most people in the world are at least somewhat familiar with. Um, oh so my- in certain, you know in screenwriting breaking a story means coming up with each individual scene for that story and then just kind of arranging those scenes in their proper order as they'll appear in the script. So if you're breaking story for an episode that's usually a lot more granular and like scene by scene and in that case you know a scene is referred to as a beat the terms are used pretty interchangeably in the screenwriting whereas obviously books totally different situation. We'll get more into that like and with the terms and what they mean and how they're applied in a future episode but it's good to note up front that when we use a term like breaking story, we don't always always mean it just that one way.
1: Kind of like also how we use scripting in this show as well. We kind of refer to scripting as all manuscript slash script writing slash whatever you're working on. So yeah, that's why today's use of breaking story is probably a little bit closer to the first definition. So as we mentioned in a previous episode, if you've been, you know, sticking with us from the beginning. Before we started recording this podcast, we basically had like a three-hour Zoom call where we talked about all of our shared hyperfixations. Um, and specifically in like this case, Nancy Drew, and what we would do in our perfect world as we were moving the show forward, doing whatever we wanted, because in the perfect show, like, excuse me, in the perfect world, we control the show because why wouldn't we?
0: <laughs> <laughs> and
1: the universe. Yes. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, so in fact, it is kind of like our shared belief that once a story is out in the world, everybody who interacts with it kind of owns a little piece of it in their own way. And we project to characters that we love. We become invested in their in their lives and their entire arcs. We have opinions about their choices, just like we would about ourselves or our friends or also your own characters Uh, we ship them romantically or with like as platonic friends as just having wonderful relationships and basically this has been a thing that has been happening since the dawn of time because oral histories and mythology have always been the roots of our favorite books and tv shows etc so we're just continuing that tradition for fun and educational purposes
0: (laughs) yeah and for vibes as per usual um (laughs) so yeah so Let's let's just get right to it, then, I guess, um, you know, let's find okay. out how to how to break you Nancy Drew season four. Um, so for today, I always like to organize at least a little bit. And in this case, instead of organizing, I'm categorizing. So for today, we're going to break up our big picture, like breaking story for the entire season, not just for a single episode. And we're going to break it down kind of into categories so that we can recap and discuss the main elements that we're working with for this project as a project manager, we would call this scope. You know, we talk about like the scope of like what what is and is not involved, you know, what can we use, what can't we use, what materials do we have, what resources do we have, all that jazz. And it helps, uh, it really helps us narrow it down and not get a little, you know, go a little bit too ham. Um, But in this case, we kind of made up our own terms as well for like what we're allowed to use. So starting off with agendas, as we've mentioned before, uh, we always make a joke here about the gay agenda, the queer Mm -hmm. agenda, Um, but our agenda is like, to me you the agenda is like your motive for writing a story or in this case for rewriting a story or for taking ownership of an existing story and kind of or doing it your way yeah itself yeah basically. like any kind of fic whether it's yeah whether it's like a ship that you want to see advance if or the fix it that you want to do like a character that you know maybe got killed off that you want to bring back or you know right. a wrong that you want to write um and also think, what your head candidates are
1: yeah and like I think an agenda can also be like could be equated to like the driving force of like for the, for the writer, not necessarily for the story itself, but for the writer, like what drives you to want to write this story in the first place? It's that, like, that. Yeah. It's constantly in your head. Like every time you watch your favorite show and you're like, God, I wish that was different. That's what your yeah. agendas should be in this case. So like the head cannons is the perfect explanation, I think.
0: We could absolutely, yeah, we could headcanons. We could also call these uh, OCDs, the things that you obsess over, or like, as another one of my friends and I talk about, we call them piss points, which sounds ridiculous, but it's like, what? pissed you off so much that you had to go write about it. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen a movie that you're like, oh my God, I loved the characters, but hated what they did or hated how the the writer, you know, put them in this situation or the plot diverged or whatever. Um, And to me, I think as a person who is fueled by spite, as you know, uh, sometimes me being bad about something is just as much of an impetus for me to write or iterate something as it is if I am love something, you know? So- Hate and love are not on episode sets of spectrum, in my opinion.
1: I just think. Oh, very agreed. They are make two, two sides of the same coin.
0: So what do you think is our, what would you say is our first agenda for this season? I know what you're going to say. Nace. <laughs>
1: Nace. Nace. The knights of
0: Nace. <laughs> oh my God, Nace. we need t-shirts. Worming. I'm writing that down. Knights of Nace, classic, doing it. Um, okay, so can, us, for those who I'm don't so know happy. what the fuck that is, can you explain what that is?
1: That, that is a Monty Python in the Holy Grail reference.
0: Oh, <laughs> what Nace that? No, I meant the Nace part, not oh, the Monty don't all part. the way back. Don't worry. But yeah, no, <laughs> Nace specifically
1: is Nancy and Ace, are OTP for the updated CW Nancy it's show
0: our shared OTP which I feel like is rare in a friend group to have a shared OTP
1: yes It, it really is and like Nace is one of those that has very quickly like risen the ranks of like favorite ships for me I would blatantly say that they are in like my top five OTP status like they're huge for me the only ones that like otherwise have stayed there are like my childhood OTPs or like oh yeah you know, the iconic it's, one. I'm so. not going to
0: lie because it also has, there's mirroring, and we can talk about this in a future episode, like like ship dynamics that are classic throughout. So, like, you know, like the Gilbert Blythe and Shirley ship, for example, like right. that dynamic of like childhood friends to lovers to our ch- childhood enemies to friends to lovers specifically, which has always right. been very formative for me. But also, I think with Mace in particular, it's one of those ships that not only sneaks up on you, but then you go back and you watch it from the beginning and you're like, the writer's meant to do this like 100%. It's very similar, also to like the James, uh, the James and what's her face? Oh my god, I'm forgetting the main character in Dairy Girls. If you watch, he's oh, kind of like you yeah. know always oh, there. But if you go back yeah. and you look at the blocking in the show, like he's always standing right next to the main character. You know, like like it's always it's kind of like obvious when you look back, but it's not obvious at the time. And yeah. I love those kind of ships. Them. But this ship, I don't know, I can't really even explain. I think it's because you and I both identify so strongly with both of these characters because of the way that they both have trauma, but deal with their trauma differently. I fully maintain that this Nancy Drew, the reboot show on the CBS is a show about trauma and how people oh, yeah. deal with trauma. But like specifically when you've got like the high functioning, you know, like most likely to succeed character who is just drowning in trauma. And then you have the character that was supposed to be the chilled and laid back character who's also drowning in trauma. And then they kind of find each other and each of them need a little bit of what the other person has. Like, oh, put mm-hmm. it in my veins. Put it directly in my veins.
1: On top of that, like there's just something about the character of Ace, the both the way that he's written and the book the way that he's acted. I think that he is possibly the best addition to the Nancy Drew world that like could have possibly been done like the fact that Ned is not her main love interest and instead it's Ace who is basically book Ned but somehow works even better for this iteration of Nancy it just it blows my mind. And I will say from the first second, I knew I was going to love him because, um, I am, I love my little stoner babies, especially when they're (laughs) done well. I do. I do. it's a thing it's in my books at like, you love an herbal escapist. I do. I do. And like, especially when the vibe is done correctly and it's not just like making fun of them. And it like really, I feel like for Ace specifically, it doesn't get mentioned as much, but it is still always part of his vibe at the, you know, that at the end of the day, that point Goes home and he packs a bowl, <laughs>
0: <laughs> which I'm sure we're gonna have to get an explicit rating on this podcast at some point. If it weren't the fucks, it would be the for two. Yeah, it wasn't
1: the fucks. It's the
0: uh, thing yeah, uh, which again
1: <laughs> is legal in most states now. Anyway, right, uh so talking about things stuff anyway, so it's fine. So but point yeah. being, that is that like just NACE is the number one agenda. NACE is literally why we decided to do this 100. So. And
0: so the agenda would be, you know, just basically advancing the ship. Uh, things you know, adding this our favorite tropes to the ship like mutual pining and star crossed, and like the writers have already given us a ton to work with. Obviously, um, not to spoil anything, but if you start off at the beginning, it's very much like a acquaintances to friends to partners in crime to mutual saving each other from mortal peril, yeah,
1: etc. Yeah, no, I'm gonna like you're you. Did I skip you one, I feel like I skipped me one. that the base of their relationship, which we have both kind of figured out after having our mutual rewatches of this show. Uh, it's very much Logan and Veronica from Veronica Mars as well. Like that you can tell Logan and Veronica was yeah. the blueprint yeah. after 100%. going back and yeah. however,
0: actually more no 70 percent without the anger Five. management yeah. issues. No,
1: yeah. it's that it's different vibes, but yeah. That ship is in is the blueprint 100%. a hundred percent. like They change the vibes and they change the reasons from like why they know each other and why they have these relationships. But the way that it's been moving forward, aside from um, they really speed it up in Veronica Mars specifically because I don't think they ever thought they were gonna get as many seasons as they did. <laughs> but, oh
0: yeah, but, I had uh, a whole I mean that's that's a whole topic for another episode oh, just even how the we should but, have but, a- but you're not wrong about the fact that so like similar network because WB was the the original veronica mars and i do feel like especially beat CW. For beat, yeah like i think i mentioned this in a previous episode but if you go back and you read the pilot of the pilot script for nancy drew the new reboot show and you read the pilot script for veronica mars not only do they use a lot of the same devices it's almost an exact beat for beat match um, I went yeah. back and did that recently for reasons cause I was writing a spec script, but I, um, I literally like, it was so interesting to me to see how everything from the filters that they use for the flashbacks to the voiceovers that they use to like the quick pops is what they call them, where it's like, Nancy will be looking at something and like Nancy vision, you know, will like pop in, um, yeah. all those things like they, Veronica Mars has that too, but just in a different, it's like a quick things that Veronica notices that no one else does things that Nancy notices. And again, as someone who's like neurodivergent, we really appreciate how we're using these types of screenwriting devices and storytelling devices now to show how characters process information and store information differently. So um, I love that. Yeah. I mean, and so, so this is a side note. We don't need to talk about this, but one of my personal agendas that I don't know if you share is that I'm super mad at Carson drew. Um, and the parenting, like the, you know, kind of multiple daddies, my, my answer to that was not to fix necessarily the ones we have. Cause as we know, Nancy has two dads so far, I was just going to add a third one was my solution. It's just fucking up more um that's pretty much um, all I have to say about my Carson agenda because well, I'm still mad at Carson for the last episode of season three and his we
1: do have failure. And I do think that like we do have definitely a Carson agenda and I don't want to say that we don't have a Carson agenda I just don't think it's like uh, for me it's not the highest agenda no it's
0: not and if yeah. I'm being honest it's really more of an addendum to the Nace agenda because the whole that's reason right, I'm mad at Carson is idiot. because he fucked up his chance yeah. He did. And
1: I totally agree with it. it. And I think that it, it, I don't, I still, to this day, don't know if it was a case of like purposefully bad writing just to like avoid the situation. And so they wrote, did something out of character or if it was just kind of like, well, we don't really know what he would do, or maybe he really is this dumb, but yeah. So he, he pulls some bullshit at the end of season three and it's, it's not that big, but it is like, It is huge in terms of he could have said one thing that would have changed the entire plot moving forward. You're you're right. You're right. And and I'm, I'm, I'm mad. I'm not, I don't disagree, but I am also upset. Yeah. And you have every right to be mad. And I also just don't know, like... (laughs) Just in terms of the show itself, like, I don't know if he deserves any atonement because Carson's just a fucking little idiot in my personal opinion. But like,
0: (laughs) and we've also talked about how I personally feel Carson's entire character is like they literally decided to take, uh, you know, a, a millennial, an elder millennial father and give him a parenting book from the fifties. And that yep. was his only, cause he's an adoptive father. So it's as though he like, instead of even going on a buzz feed list. Yeah. It was like, someone's like, here's this book of, of, uh, what's the term we came up with? Like platitudes uh useless platitudes that that fathers would say in the 1950s like well you know you can't get fish from a pear tree or like don't cross horses midstream or whatever and it's like thanks dad real helpful with my Mm -hmm. super complicated love life slash haunting issue um anyway but i think this is i'm not going to go off on carson i would rather hear you talk about Best the best agenda because I do think that's like really up there as one of okay. our. I also
1: agendas. I mostly I want you to also talk about the best agenda too though because the best agenda was like initially brought up by you and I think that that is a, yes I do love writing best and I like have very much found my voice with her. However, I would not have thought to do any of this, had it not been mostly your like, Hey, my 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 rants about fat positivity. (laughs) Well, that, and also just like all of the little things that you noticed, because once you started to notice them the way that our lovely neurodivergent brains pick up patterns and all of those good things, but yeah, you, you pointed it out and then it became so obvious to me from the get go. Uh, Like from that moment, essentially you were like, Hey, what about these little moments where she doesn't actually eat the food that she's constantly talking about. And like it's very obvious that she is always looking for food, but we never actually see her eat it. And like, yes, that is a thing that shows due to a point for the actors, but also like a character like Bess who does spend a lot of time sometimes in the background, doesn't need to be saying anything, could very easily be stuffing something in her mouth, whatever. This character who is historically and, very importantly, a fat character and fat representation, there's so much that is going on there that you could use and that you could write a really beautiful story and important story out of. And be noticed it basically instantly and told me about it. And then I started seeing it and my mind exploded. And I was like, why aren't they doing this? Or maybe they are and they're just like leading up to it. But at this point, I have no faith in them with this.
0: Well, so that's actually really good. I thought it just occurred to me. You've pretty much said everything that I've said so far better and shorter than I would have. Um, But the one thing I want to say about and this is so specifically with the show, just a little quick disclaimer. So no one comes after us here is, you know, obviously a lot of people don't realize unless you actually work in the industry like we have in different aspects, um, that like writers have no control over who gets cast for a part, for example. So even if the writer's entire writer's room was like, Oh, we're absolutely going to have fat best Marvin from like the original series, because To to date, when I look back at my entire childhood and like every piece of media that I consumed, Bess was like, you know, obviously there's a lot to be learned and a lot we could have done better. But as far as fat rep in a character, having a character who was kind of beloved by all she dated and had more boyfriends than any of the other characters and like was constantly getting hit on. Um, I'm not talking about like the nineties reboot, which had a lot of problematic stuff happen. but basically like best was plump. She was always referred to as, you know, if not like fat, like definitely like overweight, but it wasn't a lot of the other problematic shit that you see with a fat character, at least in the books, like wasn't, wasn't present. You know, they weren't like, they didn't yeah. treat her like she was dumber. Um, she was constantly like, when do we eat? But it was, it was in an adorable way. And the way that everyone treated her was so, you know, uh, loving and supportive and, and no one was ever like, you know, nagging her being like, Oh, you could you lose some weight or whatever. And to me as a child growing up with like a parent that had a litany of eating disorders and constantly being reminded, you know, as someone who always kind of struggled with my weight, and not understanding why, you know, I didn't look like my other female members of my family who were like, you know, had eating disorders. It was so nice to have there be a character who maybe didn't look exactly like her friends, but like that didn't change the fact that she was always embedded on every adventure. She was an integral part of the crew. She always had a date to the prom, et cetera, and so forth. And there are a lot of other problematic things we can discuss, but for this, this character being cast as a very thin actress who is amazing and hilarious. Um, ooh, that's she excellent. Excellent cat footage there. Um, so, but, you know, having her like the actress, you know, and, and the way the writers have dealt with it, I, the point you made about how it has to be, it's either intentional or it's like so baked into our, you know, collective psyche to like fat shame or have, you know, um, ha- have problematic things that like the care, the fact that this character is e-decoded has Mm -hmm. like like you would say a character's queer coded and they did make her queer which you know great but like when you notice a character that has those codes that you recognize if you struggle with that or know someone who has um you have to ask yourself like is this intentional is it something you're going to actually reference on the on the page so for us like especially with your scenes that you write in the novelization versions which is what you'd call it if you like novel as a TV show or verse vice versa, I had like the manuscript version. I
1: am the novelized version. Yeah, well,
0: again, again, Lynn film class rears its ugly head. Um but like I I really when I was growing up and I realized that like a lot of things came, you know, figuring out what it starts as, um, you know, like what the IP, what the what the idea begins as, what media is so interesting to me because there are limitations with that. So the original version, the character in Nancy Drew might have been 18 in the books, but it was very much written for children, like little children in the Mm -hmm. you know 1920s uh so if you look at that and you look at like the comparison and like who the audience is there's a lot of stuff that they didn't get to deal with that this show is dealing with things like sexuality for example and Mm -hmm. characters who are not just sexually active, but who have jobs and who have, you know, um, struggles like real life thing things like a family
1: yeah. to take care of. And really like messed up family. There, yeah. the breadwin- like, oh. yeah, like a character like George, who is actively the breadwinner of the family and whose parent like basically abandons them. Like that's huge. That is yeah. huge. 100%. That the poverty rep that.
0: in the show. And that's a big part of both of our platforms as creators. Like you and I <laughs> talk about this a lot, not just in terms of like body positivity and inclusivity and, you know, lack of ableism and things but also um the poverty rep so infrequently do you see this in shows that are made for like young adults where often it's like they're out having adventures or like fancy jobs in the city or whatever and they rarely talk about like how are they actually paying their rent whereas in this show pretty much everyone except for you know a hint one or two characters is like really struggling financially um And, you know, Nick's only not struggling because he got a huge inheritance from a person who got murdered. But anyway, (laughs) I digress. So if you want to talk a little bit. And
1: that is an important storyline, too, for the record. (laughs) But
0: yeah. But the best poverty background, I think is something that you're doing really well. And kind of tying that into the food insecurity. I think a lot of people don't realize that it's not always just image based. A lot of, you know, EDs do come from food insecurity. I mean, yeah.
1: And like, I decided honestly to come from that perspective, because I, while I do have like, you know, history with disordered eating, it is not the same as an ED. And so I don't want to necessarily be writing full ED content. um, But I do have like actual, you know, lived experience with poverty and with like having food insecurity and thus having disordered eating habits that can blow into other issues or very easily turn into other issues um and so that is something that like i honestly can't remember a time where i've ever had the opportunity to write about that before like yeah. It, it kind of blew my mind. And it was one of those things where it was a really... I really liked writing it because it felt like something like weirdly cathartic. And um, and I will not usually shameless plug or anything like that. But like that was a big part of why I even wanted to write the book that I... Like the reason that we ended up meeting, basically. Yeah. Um, well, in all of your
0: books, they have that element of kids with jobs, kids who are kind of looking out for themselves and or each other. A big yeah, element of found right. family, especially <laughs> in queer communities like ours, is like, you know, people who mutual aid basically it's like their version exactly. of mutual aid and, and covering each other's shifts and taking care of each other and giving each other rides places like it's the
1: little things exactly and the drew crew is such a great example of that because i feel like we even when we have seen found family style groups like this in the past and i'm going to um pull out the uh, buffy scooby gang specifically for this uh we never really see them supporting each other after, like when they are all out on their own, doing their own things, once they've moved out of their family's homes, they don't really support each other. They don't really help each other. Oh, like
0: God, no. In fact, it's, it's kind of the opposite with Xander's at least. Um,
1: yeah. Xander literally like there's, so, I don't know. It's really interesting to see because it literally was the exact opposite situation and you never saw them assisting each other or taking care of each other. You just saw them all in their isolated homes. And then like, Having to come out to each other and like, and that sounds very queer, but I meant like.
0: Yeah, no, like they have to, they have to meet up outside. Yeah. And that's, that's the other thing I love about this show. And one thing that like, I'm kind of mad about because I feel like I would have also done that. I love giving the kids when I write about kids, a shared space. Like in this case, the claw, they all work together at yeah. the claw. And that's if you've never worked in food service before, the crew, like mentality and the solidarity that you will develop with fellow food service
1: workers. Exactly. Who are going it's to like hell to work together. Live, like you basically live at the same place as them. Like yep. that was my experience with yeah, my first You eat together, you then. work together, like,
0: you hang out together, you take breaks together. Um spend often, with
1: them than you do at home.
0: Oh, God. Yeah. And that was 100%. Oh. My yeah. late teens to early 20s. I mean, I basically have not same. been unemployed. Since I was like 16, and so for me, looking back at like my my most like ride or die friendships, it's like they joke about you know friendships are made in the trenches or whatever. But I think the the new version of like you know, friends that were in war together is like friends that have served retail together or food service together or have like done who have stood up against the, you know, the masses of angry Karens together and defended each other from, you know, silly customer complaints and stuff. And, and, you know, all done this for like less than minimum wage slash, you know, not not a living wage whatsoever. Um, And so that's, that's a great, I mean, that's again, like, like, I think the poverty agenda and the fat rope agenda, they all kind of play into things that you and I do in all of our work but also um yeah. <laughs> I think you and I also have a kind of a shared occult background a fascination with the occult if you will That's so I, I yeah. want you to talk about like so it's this was in. your your idea that you pointed out to me that I was like I can't believe like I it, it occurred it? to me in passing the Hudson curse had occurred <laughs> yeah. to me in passing but I was like oh no like that is exact like your your
1: head canon for that I was like yes I, I, I remember okay. that in my belief system. Yeah, I had completely uh forgot that that was my, from like my random ramblings which happened a lot. I think that, <laughs> I think I mean, you literally. brought it up during our
0: first breaking story and I was like, "Oh yeah, like the curse and you're like, "No, but like but like not just the not just the temperance curse which we're trying, I mean, spoilers, right? right. But like
1: yes, yeah, spoilers. Like them. the
0: fact that everyone in this entire family including Nancy has like you should you should literally say that okay. again because it was great
1: okay. I was like what yeah, word. okay so we it was something that we were discussing this curse situation and trying to figure out exactly how to move forward with this new nace situation with us not being able to even have them be together at all motherfuckers and suddenly, writing. yeah, exactly. It just it just all hit all at once because um we got to the point where there was some very specific parallels between Ryan and Nancy, and that was where I noticed it first, and then I caught it in a comment that Everett said, and my brain just completely realigned itself, and like I realized that we have big options here. So basically, if you remember, Ryan has lost two people that he's loved. The only two women that he has ever cared about really, uh, he have died. Oh, wait a minute. Actually it's all three of them because George has died too. Yeah. And he was in a relationship with all three of Lucy Sable, Tiffany Well, Hansen, technically four if you count Celia. Oh, forgot Celia too. But yeah, I'm, I'm talking specifically romantic in this case. Okay, so we're doing you. romantic relationships right now. But yeah. in every like romantic relationship he has had, the woman has died. Even George, even though they were not like consistently together. And yes, she came back. However, it still applies with Nancy. We have Owen. Owen died off the bat basically. And Technically, in a different a, a, like reality, in a dream reality, Ace has already died too. So in technically, we're, we're
0: we, seeing you promised we weren't you, okay. you promised you were gonna give a trigger warning before you talked about that. <laughs> I am still having feelings about that. Okay. Can we not? I'm sorry, Can we I'm not? not? I was so sorry. Quick question. Not, like, quick question even, then. How does that apply then to
1: Nick? That's actually a really good question. Has Nick died yet? Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, also, in, 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 in the Glacier vision, were yes.
1: they actually in love with each other too? Because I feel like that could be another thing so, that okay. there has to be. Is Perfect. there a specific type of relationship? So, this is
0: what I asked you last time. Is it only romantic or is it just like a family curse where everyone in the Hudson line is unlucky in love? Or is it literally if you love someone, they're going to die? Because the fun part is, we can kind of decide this. We clearly haven't yet.
1: But we clearly haven't. Yeah. This what what, what do curs- we think? Why are doing this? Yeah. But yeah, I think I personally think it makes the most sense just as far as the story goes currently that if you have fallen in love with someone that that is the target of the curse. That is what I'm going to guess just based off of how this has gone so far, especially because we don't actually know much like a lot of Everett's history. I don't know anything else about about who he loved in any of his relationships. That's that's an
0: excellent point. Well, his brother died because he, you know, murdered him. Uh, His wife also murdered,
1: yeah. Which again, technically, still counts. Uh, He did die, so you know, even if it was by his own hand. Every single one of them has been murdered. Every single one of them has been murdered. It has been a well, I guess, aside from Lucy, technically. But once again, technically, I mean, she was murdered. She was driven to it yeah town murdered her specifically states that the town and its people murdered her yes so that can be considered a murder um just by nancy drew cw show state stakes alone um so yeah and so basically we figured out that this automatically falls into that and so if we can break the hudson curse we can possibly break all of the curses and then take care of our problem and fix everything um, also, I'm pretty sure that we do know that HUD's, we don't know anything about Hudson's temperance's husband. Temperance. Yeah, Hudson, we don't. Husband. We've
0: mentioned he's mentioned in passing, that like he kind of sucked. No, I know. I yeah. feel you. Um, really <laughs> so so this so will put a pin in this and come back to it, because I think so. Basically, what we're saying with this is like it's it's an agenda because we realized that there was an existing kind of unanswered question. There was a setup. Yeah, there was a setup. There was a framework, if you will, that we could yeah. potentially exploit. And also, instead of reinventing the wheel and coming up with the completely new paranormal threat, we decided with our storyline, we're going to basically not just not just use the threat, but we're also going to amplify the threat. And we're going to mm-hmm. do basically kind of a version, our version of an origin story. Spoilers for future episodes. An origin story of the Hudson curse. And like, how yes. long has it been around? Who started it? Why is it? And, you know, because because it could have maybe it was pretemperance, maybe it wasn't pretemperance. But if it's not pretemperance, then everyone since her in the Hudson line has basically had a horrific
1: romantic. You know, no one has had had been happy in love and marriage, basically. So and at this point, the only real person that we know about the Hudson's in historically speaking is Temperance and her daughter? That's yeah, literally her daughter. Yeah, mom, so which is know. why we
0: have so much opportunity. There's so many generations in between that. Hence, are <laughs> kind of already, you know, have pretty heavy-handed introduction of Lawrence Hudson, aka Law, who's the the head of this evil carnival that we created for AKA this season. Four. Daddy Hudson, Daddy Hudson, <laughs> D- Daddy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, honestly, this is another thing I will say as it's kind of a tricky screenwriter thing. If you're writing like a spec episode for an existing show, it's often. Like you can flex, you know, as much as you want and create your own characters. Like we've created a couple of original characters for this series, but it's also kind of a flex in my opinion. And I'm going to like brag on myself for a second that I, I was like, you know what, what if we just use an, an existing actor for the show? and this we have a great idea actor who yeah well also like let's be honest like he probably dirties up nice like Gerald style i'm not gonna go down that road <laughs> you know what i'm saying but like you know ryan hudson is a well, right character he is nancy's father you know we can't really be thirsting after him for a lot of reasons i mean you can but like no judgment whatever whatever yeah, you're. i'm into. sorry i'm not um,
1: thirsting after him i'm not. Mad, mad at him i will say
0: oh yeah see i will say i can't thirst no. after him for many reasons also the dating and the underage girl just completely takes it out for me but again i digress so the point i'm making here is like we intentionally were you know when we we look at breaking story. We're like, all right, first before you, you know, it's kind of like eating your vegetables before you get dessert. It's like first work with what you have in the existing framework of the show. So whether you're writing, you know, that's a spinoff of an existing IP or whether you're trying to write for a given genre, or, you know, you're, you're trying to like stick to within a certain scope. It's important to try and use devices or at least like jump off of existing things if you can. Um, And so now we're going to talk a little bit about devices. And in this case, we're using that to mean like, you know, recurring motifs, themes, uh, things that are already existing in the show. think paranormal themes, literal themes and how we're going to use them and augment them in season four in addition to what we've already done.
1: Yeah and honestly uh I think everything that we're doing is pretty straightforward and obvious in terms of like you you guys have already seen it all if you have been here for either of the episodes that we've already done. Yeah, and you've very, heard it. You've heard it. Exactly. The super obvious one is the carnival, Daddy Law's carnival, <laughs> the wayward <laughs> <Sorry>. traveling show. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's yeah. what I called it. That's where we're going. We're going to call it whatever we want. The door. Yeah, no, you open the door for Daddy Law. I Daddy know. Henson, You're right. You're right. It. And I'm stepping through it. That's what I do. <laughs> Welcome. Make oh. yourself comfortable. Go on. We will. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so basically, we're using the carnival to start. In the carnival, we really wanted a new setting within Horseshoe Bay that also was really, this is going to sound really dumb, like when I say it, but it's also something that's old. Mm. (laughs) And we were trying to kind of figure out how to have this like anachronistic vibe. uh, Because as soon as we figured out that we had a history with all of this opportunity for us to fill in, uh, we wanted to find something that like we could do do so without making it feel like it's not part of the vibe already. And so for some reason, because Nancy is just one of those shows, it's got the blue filter and like the Twilight vibe. and It's the very kind of vibey. It's yes. Yeah, it's very vibey. We had to find something that was equally as vibey, but could feel like it was still part of Horseshoe Bay. Yeah. And I don't remember where, who came up with the carnival idea. I'm pretty sure that was you. I'm pretty sure carnival in the way where it's almost yeah, probably I'm kind of a, you.
0: I've always been a little obsessed with the kind of creepy, uh, you know, horror is something we share a fascination with, but for yeah. me specifically, the creepy kind of childhood horror has always been a big fascination mm-hmm. of mine. And so when you think of like just even random episodes, like, you know, the clown supernatural episode, or like the, um. You know, you go back and wait in time, like or you watch the show Carnival, or you read any of the like really I was creepy literally, clown and books. Also part
1: of it too, I forgot yeah, about that. Stephen I was literally King... in the middle of rewatching bits of Carnival when we were talking about it, yeah. and you had like come up with this vibe of peaky blinders but not like
0: yeah so like uh, well and, and the other thing is the character law hudson we decided that he was going to be from like the 1920s 1930s like great depression era. and at, because i'm insane and i'm an, used to be an investigative journalist i i go back and i do a deep dive on that era and like okay what was happening and it's kind of funny because you know <laughs> there's some similarities to things going on in the world right now but mm-hmm. in the great depression, that was really when, um, traveling shows in the United States really took off. Like, and I'm not just talking about circuses specifically, cause you know, we've all seen the greatest showman and we've all seen. You know, uh, water for elephants and all that kind of stuff, where it's like that level of big, big tent. But what they don't talk about as often is like the little, small caravans of traveling shows, where it was like mm-hmm. the snake oil salesman and the people, because you know people couldn't afford to do expensive things anymore, but they could pay a penny, you know, to get in and look at like this menagerie and look at get their palm red and all those kind of things. And there's a there's a great history, I think, of carnivals. But I, we also see carnivals get appropriated a lot and like cast is like, you know, kind of like not just evil, but I think that that segues really well into how mm-hmm. like we both love, you know, we love the vibe. For me, the music also, I've always been weirdly obsessed with mm-hmm. carnival music and barrel organs and like calliopes and just that like childlike creepiness that it has of like, you know, yeah. it's like the ice cream man sound. And you're like, that is there's a haunted element to it, if you will. But also because you and I are both really character driven world builders um you know more you you're better at world building than I am you'll you know this if there's oh,
1: if I have I to explain I don't want to take it like a compliment while you're like actively undermining yourself no
0: no 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 it's, so here's what I say when I say world building I'm talking about like okay it's like Philip K Dick is like this is a futuristic world you know I'm going to deeply explain the technology and how it works and all the class system and stuff and I respect it and I love to watch it but when it comes time to like sit down and write it I'm like I don't want to explain how this works I would rather have like a, this is why I love horror because a lot of the, yeah, a lot of the paranormal shit is like, we don't know. Or like or like the answer is like, how does, you know, how, to, how does, uh, you know, Freddie Krueger get from place to place? He just does, you know, it's right. like that, that kind of, the second so
1: you it, explain it,
0: yeah, it sucks. <laughs> it's it, well, for me. And so that's, I think that's honestly, I'm not trying to undermine, but yeah. for me, I find that when I do explain it, it's not nearly as cool as people were imagining it was before I explained it. So I'd rather just let the brain, I trust my readers, you know, and my listeners to, to yeah, use their exactly. own brains to make something cool. And that's one of my favorite things, but for us, like to me, because we're trying to, you know, the whole premise of the show is like trauma and how, you know, no one who you think is evil is ever truly evil. Um, all the haunting presences, for example, have like a backstory and a theme, and you know, they kind of almost seem to stand for a certain type of trauma. You know, like most of the yeah. ghosts and beasties, they they have something, you know, that they're not all evil. No one's all good or all evil. Basically, is a big premise of the show, and so. I did not want to, what I did not want to do is the kind of problematic, um, you know, like Roma stereotypes. I have a, a lot of people in my family line who are, are from traveler cultures. And so for me, especially, I was like, what we're not going to do is like, everyone of this carnival is evil. And, you know, they're all trying to suck people's souls out, but indentured servitude is a big big part of what these what these shows were about and so that's when we developed the device of the waywords, where it's like you you've started heavily hinting and you did an amazing job and in aces pov scene last episode talking about this how Everyone at the carnival is covered in tattoos—that kind of mystical tattoos—and we don't really 100% know what they mean or why everyone seems to have them. But there's also a thing that you're, you're starting to notice: how everyone at this carnival like looks way older than they should be. Um, everyone who works here, like <laughs> regardless regardless of job title, everyone pretty much except Law looks kind of you know just like they've been microwaved maybe a little bit, or like, you know like never wore sunscreen a day in their lives. And and mm. it's like it doesn't seem like these people are necessarily all have been there for hundreds of years they just look very weathered and worn yeah. just like the carnival itself which you also did an amazing right. job describing so the people are kind of you know <laughs> we're hinting heavily at the fact that everyone at the carnival has you know their are a name that they've been given yeah. versus the name that they had when they came in and mm-hmm. that not all of them or any of them to be based on the first episode you know may not be there of their own free will basically and we've also seen the kind of deal making so that's the that's what i'll say about the waywards for now um i don't know why i picked waywards as the name it just seemed like a cool thing
1: thing it it works we were trying to find something that was a little bit less derogatory than the usual name oh yeah we weren't going to use the c word word. (laughs) yeah so like we were just trying to find something that was better and it just kind of worked out that like we were looking for a name of like a kind of dark whimsical show and wayward traveling show worked and then it just fell into it so yeah uh however i will now i'm gonna uh, dive into the other thing that you came up with which i thought was like the coolest fucking shit and then i just ran with it as much as i could um V basically came up with this magical plot device for law to use uh that basically is using music and like the organ barrels and I decided to go in a slightly different direction with it because I love that idea but I also wanted something that was a little bit more didn't just seem to affect the waywards it needed to be something that could really set the vibe not just for the reader but also for the people attending the carnival and really make it so that law was always in control in a sort of way even when he's not in a scene even when he's not an episode i'm throwing things i'm sorry if you heard that <laughs> but yeah so even really when, okay <laughs> yeah so even when he's not there he still feels like he has some control uh and so even though i haven't written law yet or you guys haven't really seen any of law in my stuff yet I wanted his vibe to instantly be there. And so that's why I put in the dance macabre and I really wanted it to to be very obvious, but also not at the same time that the music is doing something to every single person whose POV we're in and also the people whose POV we are not in, but who we are watching. And we just don't necessarily know how it's affecting others yet. And one thing that I really, 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 really tried to do with the Bess and Ace POVs is to make their their vibe be affected by the music, if that makes sense, in a very obvious way where like, Bess is not acting the way that she usually would. She is like talking the way she usually would. She is doing things she usually would, but she's not paying attention to the girls. And Bess and Ace are both like super protective parent friends they are literally the mom and the dad of the of the group because i while i love calling mom and dad like nace and nancy and i love that energy and it's kind of accurate to a point best takes care of everybody a little like in a different way than to, nancy. well.
0: and she is also the person oh. that like puts other people's needs and you you hit the nail on the head with your scenes too like she puts other people's needs over her own mm-hmm. to the point where it's almost like not even self-sacrificing it's like a point beyond that where it's an insecurity mm-hmm. issue that you can exactly. tell whereas nancy is very much like if she was a parent she would be like the opposite of a helicopter parent where she's like oh they'll be mm-hmm. fine um, exactly. but she'll save people, you know, like if anyone's in danger, she'll do everything, but she's not, she's not a person who hovers. And I think that's yeah. also why, uh, you know, her relationships with her friends can seem really one-sided if you don't understand yeah. the fact that her love language is doing things for people and she's taking care of people's problems over. for them. So like, yeah. it, we'll talk about this in another thing, but I lo- love languages of characters. I think is something that we don't talk mm-hmm. about enough. And and helping you to understand and also create really strong characters by, you know, showing what people think about them versus like what they're actually like doing, I think Mm -hmm. is really a big agenda of
1: us just as neurodivergent writers. Oh, Um, 100 percent. Yeah. And that was basically I just wanted to, especially since I had the opportunity to be in their heads in a different way, um, I really wanted to show how the music was affecting their mental state. And so like Ace is anxious the entire time from the get-go and he knows something's wrong, but he does not know how to handle the situation. And I kind of wanted it to feel a little bit like he was in the middle of both having a racing mind moment while being stuck in brain fog um, and having I feel like he's
0: definitely ADHD, this kid. (laughs) Yeah, I 100%
1: agree. And I think that's why he smokes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, it's fair.
1: Exactly. And so so that's kind of like uh, the vibe that I was going for with him, whereas I wanted it to be apparent that. Bess is doing her best to be the best best she possibly can be but she's missing that one part that is the most core to Bess in this case and it's not even her fault it is literally the music and how it's affecting them well and her obsessive Um, tendencies as well like
0: they talk about the fact that she struggled with like kleptomania for example mm -hmm. and she's like shiny things caught me um that's a you know an obsessive compulsive disorder is often a comorbidity with eating disorders and so for me again like watching this it's like you can't be doing this on accident because it's so, you know, like, like it's so true to what yeah. happens in real life. Um, but that being said, like, I love the idea of, you know, cause another thing you'll notice with creators in general who are creating Is let's say you were trying to introduce a character and you thought so deeply into this character, you're like, here's their entire backstory. A, A big problem we see a lot is with shows, stories, books that info dump the hell out of characters. They're like, well, this is why this person has trust issues because we'll start off with just a prologue and all this bad stuff that's happened to them. And like, there's an occasion where stuff like that can work, but most of the time, it's better to like, slowly let the characters you know issues if you will kind of come out over time by showing in in situations and so some of the devices that we've seen like so best kleptomania that's an action thing that you can show and not necessarily tell i mean she'll say it but like we also see it um and then we see you know the the eating disorder thing so far has been all show zero tell They haven't even referenced it once but it's been in every single scene i've paid attention to and Ace's thing too, you're right. Like, like his, his ability where they talk about, you know, he's a self-taught hacker and he didn't do very well in school. And like, you know, all the things people used to think he was a slacker and the way his parents treat him and talk about him, um, you know, all kind of tell without telling, if, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. It's like, yeah. they show us, they show us the characters and how they relate,
1: which is why. And- yeah. Actually, it's a very sorry, but I'm so sorry that you're about to move forward. But I no, just I was just saying it. I was saying musical
0: is similar to it's like it's pretty much all show. Like we we may yeah. or may not ever reference it directly, except for maybe a best moment where she's
1: like, oh, it's the music. And then that's it. You know, exactly. Yeah, like it might be one of those moments where suddenly somebody figures out the core of the device. But uh, yeah, we're not going to go really any further than that. Um, but ultimately, I think it's actually really interesting that you uh, mentioned that. Oh, gosh, I lost it one second. What was it that we were just talking about? Uh, so neurodivergent. Oh, yeah. So so like the nerd, you know, just like basically showing versus. Yes. OK, no, I figured it out. I got it. I'm right back. I'm right back there. OK, so it's the showing. It is the, and I do this constantly and I didn't realize that's why I do this. But now I just got it. We are leaving breadcrumbs, which I am, didn't mean to tie this back to my story, but I guess I am. We're leaving breadcrumbs and it is one of those things where we're doing it probably for the other neurodivergents to pick up on the entire time, because that's how we pick up on things. And so we are literally dropping these little weird patterns and implications so that all of the readers who are just like us, who can see these things and also, you know, viewers, if you're watching a show or whatever. Um, but yeah, so that all of the people... That are similar to us, pick it up. But it's just the way that we write, it's It's, just the way that our brain is.
0: A great example of that is like how Mm -hmm. when you go back and you watch season two of Nancy Drew from the beginning, like I watched it and I forced my partner to watch it with me, who is more on the neurotypical end of the spectrum. And I was so like I was so bothered by the little details that didn't seem to make sense about like the little moments where like Nancy would be acting out of character because my big thing is character and like you can't just change a character's Mm -hmm. entire personality to suit the plot you want. So I was so bothered that whole season by these moments in the show when Nancy would be like, you know, she wouldn't start not stand up for herself when she normally would stand up for herself or she's dating this guy that like you're like why the fuck would Nancy ever be dating me? there's no way that she would ever like I don't care how hot he is and how much you you know you have a bad boy thing like she is just such a controlled character that her recklessness doesn't make sense and then these freaking writers you know the like the last couple of episodes they they go back and they basically do one of my favorite devices it's like the memento device where it's like you have a moment where all of a sudden you go back and you show all the things the happening in sequence. And you're like, ah, I knew it. Like it was on purpose. Um, so yeah, that's, that's just an example anyway. So when we talk about, you know, the, the devices, like sometimes they're physical, sometimes they're not, but most of the time the devices are kind of a recurring motif theme or anything, which is why the last device I want to just mention offhandedly very quick is the runes, okay. um, which are a real thing, you know, in a lot of different archaic and, uh, cult religions, And so many, absolutely. So many. (laughs) And so, um, you know, I did a quick, like literal quick, quick and dirty research into different types of runes and binding runes. And you'll notice in the literal first scene, the teaser of the pilot that I wrote with law, he's like making a deal and you Mm -hmm. see, it's not explained at all. It's just only shown he makes a deal something, his tattoo, you know, something breaks off of his tattoo and goes onto someone else's skin and like makes a mark there. So you're just kind of showing that like metaphorical deals result in physical marks on the body. And that's a device that we set up early. We don't 100% know we're going to do with all of it, but there's been so far several elements of, oh no, there's a mark, you know, a physical mark that shows, um, which I think, you know, leads us well into our next
1: I think it does too, because that leads us into artifacts, which is all about the physical and the visual elements for the showing, Um, which, yeah, which obviously we don't have that much ability to do currently because we are not doing a television show, but we are doing our goddamn best to show you what we have. So in this case, obviously the biggest ones have been the tattoos, because those are literally physically on somebody Um, and they are. And at least I have tried to make it very obvious and I know V has successfully done. So like when you see the people with the tattoos, when you hear of them, you know, that they are not just a single tattoo. It is a very obvious situation where they're like covered from head to toe. Yeah. Uh, Like in one, one character. And this was not meant to be done on purpose in relation to me and my recently shaved head, but there is the tarot reader who happens to have a shaved head and they have tattoos literally covering them from head to toe. Um, And so that is a giant thing. We wanted to really do that, make it apparent with Zelda as well. And Zelda, some of her tattoos are in fact like the runes. And we don't really know how we're going to be, you know, using tattoos to the full extent. But it really is the perfect starting point just for the audience really to see, oh, this is something that is going to be a big part of later yeah. on down the line, which I know sounds really weird. And bad. no,
0: it didn't. And also, so when you're talking about showing, so these are specifically things we're showing. So for example, like there there's a part that we didn't actually read aloud in the show, but it's in the pilot episode where it's like a whole scene. With Bess basically kind of going through a big stack of books and figuring out the purpose of each rune and what they mean and realizing that, you know, one of the runes on Zelda or or Saffron's body that was one of the lost waywards that had tried to leave the show um, was basically not, not just a binding rune where it was like, you know, would cause harm if she tried to resist her deal, but also, there was one that was like an anti-witch rune, and that yeah. was our way of kind of showing, like, hey, this this carnival has a history of, you know, anti-witch. Like, they've tangled with witches in the past, and clearly, whoever's whoever's you know pulling the strings doesn't want witches to be interfering with these people, and so exactly. that's kind of setting us up because, as we know, best whole thing is the women in white, and then the other thing was the organ barrels, which we you know didn't talk about at all except in one scene where we show law in his office, which is like basically a giant barrel organ on wheels. And he opens a drawer and there's these seven brass barrels that look very ancient and mystical and you can fit them into the barrel organ and they have labels on them that are like kind of heavy handed, if you will, on my, I think it's heavy handed cause I did it, but you know, oh, I basically yeah. named them after like the seven deadly sins, but I intentionally I didn't explain that,
1: though, anything. Too. Yeah, you did. But also like, I like, actively used that. Yeah. So like it heavy-handed, I don't, and this well, is Well, when just, I, I say know,
0: heavy-handed, I mean like, it's a little heavy. bit literal, right? Yeah. But it's, but like the way that you used it was my intention. I wanted it to be, if not literal, like open to interpretation in any way you want to interpret it. And that's my favorite type of visual device where it's like, yes, we've well, shown you this key, but you don't know what this key opens,
1: you know? It's also the perfect collaboration device, too. And that's one thing that we haven't really mentioned a lot in this episode, but it is something that we will definitely be talking about more, is about how each of our writing, like, is affecting each other as we are moving forward. Yeah. Uh, and right now, we has not had a ton of opportunity to deal with that on the receiving end yet, but... I who grew up in a role-playing, like literally, I <laughs> taught myself to write via role-playing, like text-based role-playing. It is my favorite way to write, and so this has been such a fun I'm experience. Bold of you to assume me. that I wasn't also d and D nerd in uh, my own oh, life. <laughs> oh no, I'm sure you are. I'm just saying, like this was. It is my like literally my roots, and so to be able to have an experience again where I am collaborating with characters that I absolutely adore who I just get to fuck around with and have a good time with and with a writer who also understands my brain understands these characters and who is just as excited about it it's really fun and so it is one of those things where like so many of these that V V is talking about all of these small little things V set all of this up in her first episode and I was just like okay sounds good this is what I got I'm gonna run with it (laughs) and so like every time V compliments me I should be just complimenting V for all of this gorgeous setup that I had because I had so much to work with. I think I literally added one thing in terms of like the plot devices and that was kind of the musical curses and honestly I just amped up the organ situation a little bit. I didn't Which was like- it was
0: epic and flawless and I think that's a great example of how a <laughs> good good writing and I'm not just putting this on myself but like good writing is basically opening up a realm of possibilities where someone can take your idea and make it so much better than you even thought it might be because they have room to grow it and you're not just giving them a thing and saying no follow this exact list of rules um it is funny like i think we should probably mention that the most important ship in this show is ours Obviously, right? um, like, if you haven't come up on this so far, the, 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 the secret the secret agenda of the show is basically yeah. us and our relationship as fellow writers uh, you know ad- advancing the agenda of it's dangerous to go alone take a friend it is you exactly know? yeah um and I system. love that I love this for us it's great we're I having a, and we're having a great time if nothing else comes of this we're having the time of our lives Dirty I mean style, the entirety
1: so. of this really came down to the fact that we sit around and have such a good time just voice texting each other it's all day long. <laughs>
0: like it's our yeah. job as it, though we're it, being it, paid to do it
1: <laughs> literally we're like okay maybe we should try to do something with this because we have too good of a time just sitting around bullshitting over these characters with each other perhaps we should you know <laughs> yeah. do something because we're both heavy earth signs That's heavy yes. earth signs. yes
0: heavy earth earth of heaviness earth exactly. yes um but so speaking of earth sign shit <laughs> yes, i have to capricorn you know i have to capricorn uh capricorn's gonna capricorn um <laughs> so i as a project manager by trade for my entire adult life uh, every title and industry i've worked in has a common thread of this it's like fuck around and find out, but then make it fashion, like make it, mm-hmm. make it a process, make it an actual, like, si- basically it's science in it's the art.
1: Duplicate. <laughs> yeah. I call
0: it, yeah. I call it science in the art because it's like, like when we talk about fuck around and find out, that's literally, first of all, the scientific method, fuck around, find out, oh, repeat, yeah. uh, you know, implement what you found out into your next round of fucking around iterate, which is like, you know, try again, differently tweaking best practices, all of those things that I'm constantly harping about in this podcast. It's not just because I'm like a huge nerd. It's because I have found in my like 15, 20 years of writing things for production, producing and writing and and creating, you know, creative projects for the purpose of something, not just for the fun of it. um, You know, there, there are actually ways like anyone who's out here saying like, Oh, you know, I just tried it and it worked out. That's great. But like you, you have a process, whether you're conscious of it or not. So Mm -hmm. one of the big neurodivergent things that happens a lot is that, you know, you'll, a lot of the writing advice out there, the storytelling advice is very neurotypical. It's like, well, just, you know, write every day or put one foot in front of the other, or just, you know, a page at a time. And that does not work for like 90% of the people that I know that don't have that very specific foundational neurotypical way of learning. And so, um, one of the things we do in project management that I always apply to a project in the beginning, because the biggest flaw of any project is what we call scope creep, which is when you start a project and you think it's one thing, and you're like, "Here's what's involved, here's what's not involved in scope out of scope." And then halfway through, you're like, or, you know the the, the monkey in your brain on speed <laughs> is like, "Hey, how, here's an idea. What if instead of being on a spaceship, they were under the sea and you're like, um, that sounds like a great idea, but we're already, you know, 200 pages into this. So maybe that's going to cause some issues. And so, especially when you're working with multiple people, the opportunity to have people be like, Hey, awesome idea. Like what if we completely change the scope of this it, is a problem. And so, um, we like to do before any new project, we call a SWOT analysis, or in my case, a SWOC analysis, which is you know an overall overarching like all right here's the, the big picture project for the whole season we don't even need to talk about the details or all the mini moving parts but like what are the basic boundaries and parameters of this and so when when i talk about swot stands for strengths weaknesses opportunities and threats or in my case i prefer to call it challenges so it's strengths weaknesses opportunities and challenges and i think of them as two sides of the same coin so strength and weakness is the same coin two different sides same goes with opportunities and challenges mm-hmm. So Ray, I, if you could just kind of, if like recap really quick, what, what we, what we looked at as like the strengths and weaknesses of not just the show, this project, this team, like what, what were our things that mostly we considered f- for the big picture?
1: Okay. So things that we considered for the big picture for season four, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Just checking. Cause yeah, yeah. You, you're your project manager brain scare me sometimes. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I was here. Yeah. Um, honestly, I think the biggest thing that we, you have always had such a strength with, like just the characters. You understand them down pat so easily, so well. I was never concerned about that whatsoever, and I think that that is one of our biggest strengths. But also, just for like the show moving forward, not just our season four, um, the characters and the way that they are written is so beautiful. The development is so strong, so gorgeous. Uh, and honestly, that also plays into their biggest weakness because the biggest weakness is literally they forget other characters. Some of their characters are so strong and wonderful. Nancy, Nick, Ace, A. George, fucking Bess, left out in the cold, <laughs> like with a shitty storyline and nothing else to really carry her along aside from the fact that she's fantastic comedic gold. Um, so, yeah.
0: Which that is is really, a- to be fair, playing more on the strength of the actor than necessarily the strength of the narrative.
1: Exactly. Because, like, exactly. on an episode
0: level... The, the dialogue obviously for some characters is mm-hmm. just freaking amazing and dynamic and they've got her voice however you're right about that, that the narrative arc of this character and the character's development from you know start to finish season one to season three with Bess she's had a number of abandoned plot lines they've mm-hmm. jumped they've jumped us uh, a number of times with a with what I call like a an info dump in a back alley like you know it's like holding someone up with a knife and be like yeah. hey guess what this 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 person used to be in foster care but you don't even know that about them because they
1: never brought it up before and you're like what the fuck? You know, it's like exactly. That. It's like There's I so asked for this. What's happening? And it feels like little retcon moments. And it's just yeah, it is. I feel like that is one Thank of the retcon. That's issues. the word I was looking
0: for. Oh, not trench
1: coat for right. something. I'm, I'm mugging you for your storyline. You Want to hear about what? my trauma? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh god, that's going on Wait. the meme list.
1: Good, good. <laughs> But yeah, so that I feel like is both, like I said, their biggest strength and biggest weakness is they do fantastic with really honing into some of these characters and then they didn't do so well for the others. And so I also feel Carson plays well into that. He can also be in our circle of these are the weaknesses we would like to fix. And then from there, let's see, is there anything else that I really, 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 really love? Oh, weakness. I don't think their plots are that strong. And I think that our plot is stronger, honestly. And so I'm pretty excited about that moving forward. This is not helping them to not send us a C-synthesis letter, by the way. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Um, before I'm, I'm losing it here, I'm losing all of my threads. You just, you lost no, me. So with... let's
0: let's bring it back to, I'm sorry, that's, <laughs> yeah, my, that's no, on me. Fine. Here's a
1: weakness that Same we though. talked about, Same. a
0: weakness of the team, which is not necessarily always a weakness, because I firmly am a believer that you can turn your weakness into a strength if you just change your process to fit so that you know you're making allowances and also time so a great example of we're both neurodivergent people we have trouble staying on task sometimes shockingly um we also have a tendency to tangent info dump and um unintentionally derail each other's thought processes which us being neurodivergent means sometimes we just do not get those back we're they're gone Mm -hmm. gone forever um or until they, you know, make themselves known again. So that's a weakness that we decided early on. That's one reason why we give ourselves the format we give ourselves with the show where we have episodes like today, where we're just kind of like, you know, freeballing it, if you will, free, freestyling, <laughs> you know, freestyling, um, and just, you know, discussing in a way that's organic to us, that's authentic, um, and may not be very linear or organized. Right. But yeah. If you create a show that literally is built around the fact that we're not being linear or organized on purpose, then it turns into a feature instead of a bug, which is my life hack hashtag life hack for it's you a know, novelty. Yeah, it's a novelty. Exactly. This is this is a podcast for people who maybe don't care as much if uh, the thoughts are arranged in alphabetical order, right? So uh, this is an opportunity, you know. Like so, the other the other coin we talk about is like opportunities and challenges. So we talked about, we don't even really have to recover opportunities because for us, like the opportunities are everything we've talked about so far today, which is mm-hmm. like, here's here's what the show has given us to work with. Here's the tools that we have. Here's the holes, the plot holes that we would love to fill with our thoughts and, and dreams and ideas and plans. And then, you know, challenges obviously are going to be the things we've also brought up a number of times where, you know, we are not we're not veteran collaborators. Like it's very rare for a craft advice to be given in a way that's meant for more than one person to execute. And so Mm -hmm. the, the short version of that is like most writing advice and tools and tricks and tips that you've ever probably been told in your life, regardless of what type of writer you are is like, figure it out on your own, but that's completely antithetical to what we're trying to do here, which is like, figure it out together. Like we're stronger together, you know, we're better together, even if it complicates. (laughs) Yeah. Even if it, because like, that's the challenge, right? The challenge is that it is complicated. As you can see, like there's a lot to talk about and we always have to communicate because Mm -hmm. if we don't communicate, if we're just out here making assumptions Or if one person, you know, just assumes like, oh, instead of asking Ray what they meant when they wrote that scene, I'm just going to like assume that I know. And I'm going to like jump off that. And then later it's like, oh, well actually, you know, you kind of misinterpreted the intention there. And that, that might be fine, but it might might really derail what Ray was trying to do. And then they have to spend, um, you know, their entire next episode or next installment like fixing what I broke basically, right? Mm-hmm. Which tell me if you haven't, if you can think of any shows that that's happened before where there's multiple writers and you can tell the writers have very different agendas. And instead of collaborating on a solution, they compromise in a really shitty way, in my opinion, which is like, all right, well, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you can make the characters do what you want. And on Fridays and Sundays, you know, I'll make the characters do what I want. And then the, the episodes will be a fucking nightmare to watch because yeah. this character will completely just act totally different. You know, and so like I I'm a big believer in collaboration over compromise because in compromise, everyone kind of loses a little bit. But if you collaborate on a creative like solution. To me, that's that's one of the things that can be turned into an opportunity. Every time you hit mm-hmm. a wall, every time you have a disagreement. I'm trying to think, can you think of an example of a time that we like disagreed on something? Um, and
1: then we, <sighs> did have, we did have a little bit of a like, Oh, what was it that we were actually talking about? There was a little bit of a confusion that we had at some point, but I don't remember if it was something about like, was it the format
0: where we're like, hey, let's do the whole thing in script format. And then it's like, no, let's do narrative.
1: Yeah, that's what it was. Is that I think that you, oh, there was that one time when you didn't realize if I, why I had, um, was talking about Hannibal and oh. <laughs> you were so confused about because I, I thought, I thought you were just going off on a tangent. Yeah. Yeah. You thought that I was going off on just like a tangent and I was just like going to make my, my episode like Hannibal themed Nancy or something. And there was just like, I don't know exactly where your brain had gone, but I know that I did not communicate in a way that made sense to your brain. And, uh, there was a, like great moment of like are we making this a show about Hannibal too? What are we doing? And <laughs> which yeah, you I don't have know. to remember
0: you recall that I was I was willing to go with you oh, on you that journey. Willing. You were but you I was also so a little trepidatious that we had not packed for that journey. Like we yeah, didn't no. have the
1: supplies the we needed corn was terrified that the yeah, I was, was doing done. I was that trying was to like, let
0: the Leo take the wheel. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But, so that was a bad one. That was, but you know, what came out of that though? Versus.
0: Oh yeah. But, mm-hmm. but you know, what came out of that though is first of all, like I love referential, like, and, and so like, for example, the entire carnival, there's numerous TV shows that we both love that had like just a carnival episode, if you will, like lost girl, right. for example, had a carnival episode and it's like using those kind of referential things. So I definitely think that we do a hundred percent need to have a cannibal episode in the oh, future at some yeah. point, because yeah you like as a, as a creator, I've also thought, and I don't know what the word is for this, but like cross-contamination of (laughs) fandoms and things. Um, I personally don't think there's ever such a thing as, you know, a, a piece of media that completely exists in a vacuum. And so one of my other favorite things about collaborative is that You know, the joke about how, like, stealing from one person is plagiarism, stealing from a bunch of people is research, like, and as a journalist, that's literally what they teach you, like, the more sources, the better. And so the more subject matter expertise that we share as a team and the more random hyperfixations that you and I have that are separate from each other and like different or like pulling from different references, the less one note our shows are going to be, you know, when we do a show. And so to me, that's why I think it's important to diversify your creative team, not just in terms of like literal diversity, like, you know, cultural diversity and racial diversity and gender representations, but also like life experiences and mm-hmm. fandoms. Because if you have everyone who's writing for a show, that's like only a fan of that show, you're just going to keep regurgitating the same stuff. Yeah. And it's the same for you're when we ready for anything. a genre. Yeah. Like you should always read outside your genre. You should always, um, you know, play outside your fandoms because Mm -hmm. that, that is going to make you a better creator.
1: I think personally. And it will widen your fandoms because you'll fall in love with more things that you never realized you're going to fall in love with. I think that is probably the only like actual rule of creation that I can think of is that it is just fill your well with as much as you possibly can. Like it doesn't matter if it's a genre that you think you're going to like or not watch the movie, read the book every once in a while, make the leap and do it because when you do you maybe you will find something that you never knew you would you needed you know like I was would have never thought that I was going to be obsessed with Hannibal or like uh, Fast and the Furious is actually the perfect example I (laughs) literally needed those movies before I like sat down and was forced to watch them all but by an ex and now I wrote a stupid book about it and I'm obsessed and like yeah it's just the smallest things you never know what is going to just hook itself into your heart and you never
0: it's sometimes it's the timing too it's like you'll tell me you need to watch the show like the the outer bank situation recently where it's like uh and I'm a I'm a terrible person in case you know this but like you know Ray had been telling me for a long time like you should watch the so show and I was like yeah yeah it's not the time like the the planets aren't in alignment like I can't I can't get into this specific show right now the vibe is off I get um I get. and then I started watching it randomly like on a Tuesday and I started sending <laughs> Ray's voice memos, like hey have you heard of this show it's totally your jam it's called Outer Banks it's kind of like Point Break meets the Goonies vibe. so oh, like set in like North Carolina or whatever and like if you ever want to really piss off your friends <laughs> who are like trying to get you to watch a show you should a hundred percent try to like mansplain that show to them as a joke uh 10, 10 recommend it was a good it was a really hilarious insert one of
1: my voice memos <laughs> yelling to you here
0: <laughs> I, I probably do have I probably did save that one because it was so funny I was like kidding. um <laughs> was so anyway you you
1: told me, that was not, that was a joke it's like
0: I can't <laughs> believe our <it. laughs> our ship is in its its, its it's 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 uh frenemies to frenemies to like ride or die friends phase I guess <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep, that's, that's we're at. just troll each other for no reason because I uh, because again you know why not um, all right, so do you want to bring us, I think this is a great place yes. to wrap up for today, and then
1: we'll you scroll back up. up later. Okay, so before we let V dive into her restating of her D's, let's go ahead and do some quick reference and homework time. So, per usual, we are going to recommend a Save the Cat book. In this case, we are recommending V's favorite, Save the Cat Rights for TV by Jamie Nash. If I hear about this book one more time, I might end up with another cat.
0: Where's your where's your
1: copy though is my question It is literally on the other side of the um desk, I would go grab it if we That's were not fair. wrapping up. <laughs> well, and it's not a video, so it's fine. Um, oh, it's true. It's true. Uh but yeah. And then from there we've got a few others. Did you want me to go over those? Yeah, feel free to share. I mean, well for now we'll just list them and then later we'll yeah. talk about how we use them in future Perfect. stuff. We'll do a different episode. So now we'll go ahead and also recommend Rock your Plot by Kathy Yardley and Plot and Structure by James Scott Bell. And now this is my favorite. Use your friends, (laughs) collaborate, go be friends with people and force yourself to talk to them and then force yourself to share your, your stuff with them if they want to read it and then read theirs and then talk about
0: it. Yeah. Critique partners, critique groups. It's so important. That's one of the best resources any creator can have is a critique partner slash critique groups, multiple critique, be polyamorous with your critique groups. I find, um, in terms of, you know, not just having one friend, multiple feedback, it's always useful. There's no such thing as too much feedback. In my opinion, it's just learning how to apply it in a way that works for you. Um, yeah. Hmm. So then, the you know the 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 D uh, we need the D in every episode. The disclaimer, uh, reinstating disclaimers for you know referential under Title Seventeen, Section One Hundred and Seven of the United States Code governing copyright. Fair use allowance is made for purposes such as criticism, comment, teaching, scholarship, education, and research. In cases where we feature AU fanfic written by us or with permission from the authors. These will always be for nonprofit, educational, and informational purposes only. That is the overall D for AU City, but will include more detailed disclaimers as needed since the intention here is to critique and learn from IP together and not to appropriate it.
1: Stay in school, with kids. Well, maybe not. Amazing. Well, thank you again for joining us today. This has been AU City, the podcast where stories diverge. We've been your co hosts. We were extra weird today. And don't apologize for asking questions ever. Stay weird. Stay sexy and weird, my friends. Bye. Goodbye, my loves.